Criminology is a true crime podcast that may contain discussion about violent or disturbing topics. Listener discretion is advised. and welcome to episode 151 of the criminology podcast i'm mike ferguson and this is mike morford mr morford how are you today i'm doing great how about yourself doing really well i am starting to see some signs of uh spring the weather's warming up a little bit here and there and now it will drop down to uh you know 20 something every now and then but i've been able to get out to do some things which is really nice man i i have been feeling like i've been shut up in this house and i'm ready to get out yeah i see a lot of people online are really doing stuff and posting stuff so it feels like knock on wood it feels like we're coming out of this uh this crazy time that we've had for the last year yeah i know everybody's ready we continue to see some great patreon support so let's give some shout outs we had terry mitchell julie gunsett nate wells stacy maxwell Rosalie Brown, Anna Schaub jumped out at her highest level, Robin Droppa, and Hillary Burton. So a lot of great new support. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you all for that support. It really means a lot, and it goes a long way to helping us put the show out. And if anyone out there would like to support criminology, they can go to patreon.com slash criminology. More if I had an interesting thing happen to me this last week, ABC News reached out and wanted to do an interview after uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr. died. And, and that was interesting. It's something that I have never done. We covered that case on True Crime all the time. And then you came on to do the unsolved version where we talked about the Amityville horror. That was a, that was a great set of episodes. Everybody always talks about those. People love them because it was like a crossover and you got both the solved and unsolved aspects of, you know, kind of connected cases, but, uh, that was different. That was, that was kind of interesting to see myself on ABC news. Cause it's just not something that I'm used to. Well, people can have to figure out where they can get your autograph from. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I know everybody's clamoring for that, but that's one of the cases that made a lot of headlines this week. I saw that posted in a lot of different spots and it's, like you mentioned, it's always been one of those cases that just grabbed me for some reason. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions and maybe we'll never know now that he's, he's gone. Yeah. And that's really what I talked about. You know, when you do those interviews, they only use like little snippets, but I mean, I think on its own, right. The case of Ronald DeFeo jr. Murdering his family, it would be a, a fairly infamous case, but obviously when you add in the Lutzes buying that house and fleeing and then the book and the movies and all that. I mean, it really kind of raises all of it in its level of infamy for sure. Yeah. Just a side note. I introduced my daughter to the Amityville horror the other day and she was a little bit creeped out after it was over and wanted a couple extra lights on. I bet. I bet. So was it original or 
Ryan Reynolds Amityville Horror. Yeah, it's got you got to go with your original. There's yeah, only, there's only one when it comes to that case. I I absolutely agree. Not to say that that one wasn't okay, but the original. I mean, I just think about it, man. I think about being, I don't know what I was, 10 years old back then or whatever my age was, and thinking, okay, I'm scared. I am literally scared, and I'm sleeping with lights on. That's one of those kind of like the exorcist that just really got to me. Yeah, It's one of those things where someone asks you for a million dollars, would you sleep in there by yourself overnight? And normally my answer is yes, but on that one, I got to think a little. All right, buddy, it's time to jump into this episode, and we're talking about a well-known case out of Florida. On July 23rd, 2018, the remains of a dead man were found in a tent about 100 miles west of Miami. This man had no ID, and what followed was an all-out scramble by both authorities and online sleuths to give this man his name back and hopefully provide any family members that were missing him some peace, but it wouldn't be easy. And the search for clues to this man's identity would span much of the East coast of the United States before finally culminating in his name being restored over two years later, we are exploring the mystery of the man dubbed mostly harmless. The Appalachian trail stretching from Maine all the way down to Georgia is a prime nature and hiking destination in the eastern United States. While hiking the Appalachian itself can sometimes be hazardous, with ticks bearing Lyme disease, harsh cold weather in the north, and high heat in the south, there are a lot of beautiful scenes along the way for any person seeking the great outdoors, or looking to be out in nature. For those looking to escape modern plugged-in society, the Appalachian Trail is perfect. There are no responsibilities on the trail, other than your own survival and respecting nature. For many, the stress of bills, jobs, or relationships just disappear as they explore this trail. Each year, hundreds of what are known as thru-hikers try to tackle the entire trail, all 2,200 miles of it. Most start in Georgia and hike north, and even fewer hike the trail from end to end in one shot. People from all walks of life find themselves hiking together on the Appalachian Trail. Sometimes they're together, only briefly, but the memories made on the trail can last a lifetime. Sometimes as these hikers encounter others on the trail, they stop to chat because many of them want to hold on to some anonymity or secrecy. They may not tell other hikers their full or legal names but they often share stories about their lives, careers, and relationships. On the trail, many people do stay anonymous, but they usually are not forgotten. The case of Mostly Harmless, who found family on the trail, illustrates the disconnected yet tight-knit atmosphere on the trail. Although the Appalachian Trail officially ends in Georgia, another series of trails continue down into southern Florida. All of these trails are part of a larger trail system known as the Eastern Continental Trail that run from Florida up to Canada. On July 23, 2018, two hikers in Florida's Big Cypress National Preserve noticed a yellow two-person tent with boots outside the entrance. The bright color caught their eye, but a bad smell made them stop to investigate rather than hike on. They received no response when they called out to whoever may be inside the tent, so they peeked inside 
they found the dead body of a male sitting upright with his eyes open. The hikers immediately called 911 and reported what they had found. It appeared that the man inside the tent still had his possessions, but he had no identification, cell phone, or credit cards with him. He appeared to be between the ages of 35 and 50, had brown hair which was just slightly graying, and a shaggy but short beard. He was wearing a gray baseball hat. With him in a backpack was $3,500 in cash and a notebook with handwritten information or code about an online programming game called Screeps. Police thought that they may easily be able to match the man to missing persons reports, but they came up empty. Later, DNA, fingerprints, and dental records found no matches in any database. Police were quickly at a standstill. This man had perfect teeth with absolutely no dental work. He bore no tattoos and autopsy revealed that his stomach was completely empty, but that he had antihistamines and ibuprofen in his system. He had one vertical scar on his abdomen, a few inches long, but the coroner couldn't tell what it was from. No cause of death could be determined, but there were no signs of foul play. They figured that he died from natural causes of some sort. It was noted that he was emaciated. He was listed on the medical examiner's report as 5 feet 8 inches tall and just 83 pounds. The unidentified hiker was eventually recognized by fellow hikers and trail regulars he had met, and he came to be known as mostly harmless. It's not really known how this unidentified man came to be known as mostly harmless or the origins of that moniker, but it stuck. Some people also nicknamed the man Denim because he was seen hiking in denim blue jeans. He also wrote the name Ben Billamy as an alias in logs and guest books. But for two years, mostly harmless or unidentified hiker was basically the only identity he had. Not long after he was found, the Collier County Sheriff's Office released an informational poster seeking information about the unidentified hiker found in Big Cypress National Preserve. And soon, social media took hold of this story, and people around the world got to work. Natasha Teasley from North Carolina created a Facebook group to try and figure out who he was and give his name back to him. The group grew quickly and had thousands of members interested in identifying who this unknown hiker may have been. Natasha was doing real detective work. She even managed to get the details about every car that had been towed from New York's Harriman State Park after April 2017, where Mostly Harmless was believed to have started his journey south. She sent flyers with his photograph and information on them to the Chamber of Commerce in multiple places, Sarasota, Florida, Saratoga Springs, New York, and other cities that he may have come from, based on what others remembered he had said on the trail. Natasha believed that Mostly Harmless had to have family or friends out there that were missing him. Many different theories emerged about who the hiker could have been before he decided to go on his journey and where he may have been from. Because Mostly Harmless had no ID, phone, or credit cards, many believe that he wanted to live off the grid and escape the modern day. This type of off-grid living isn't unheard of, and was made famous by the book and movie of the same name, Into the Wild. Due to his weight, just 83 pounds, 
even with food and money in his possession, some people thought he may have known he was sick and wanted to live his life hiking carefree before he finally passed away in the beauty of nature. Many speculate that he knew he had some sort of cancer or other disease and chose to go peacefully and quietly. If he had been starving, why not eat the food that he had with him? Or at some point, walked just miles to a nearby rest stop with snack and soda machines. The rest stop would have also provided means to get medical help if he needed or wanted it. But his autopsy revealed something surprising. Mostly harmless was not fasting or starving. The exam revealed stool still in his intestines and his bladder was full. How did someone who was still eating waste away to 83 pounds? He had hiked about 10 miles a day with a very bulky backpack, but still to get to 83 pounds at five foot eight. So more, if I think this is one of the big questions, right? In this case, it's perplexing for a man who seemingly had access to food and was eating to be five foot eight and weigh 83 pounds. Yeah. My 10 year old daughter is, she's pretty tall. She's not five foot eight, but she's thin and she weighs around 83 pounds. So I'm imagining him at five foot eight weighing 83 pounds. He must've looked really, really thin. While many people focused on what caused Mostly Harmless to die, other people tried to reconstruct his past. Some thought that perhaps there was something or someone in his past that he was hiding from. Why else would he have thousands of dollars in cash and nothing with his name on it? The mystery of who this man was sort of fit whatever idea people wanted him to be. He was the gentle soul to some, hiking to find himself, the criminal hiding from the law to others. The terminally ill man who just wanted peace during his last days, the only way to provide definitive answers would be to finally ID mostly harmless. Investigators believe that in April 2017, mostly harmless had started his hike, probably from Harriman State Park in New York. In July of that year, mostly harmless was still in New York. One hiker claims to have met him in Unionville, New York around this time. Along with Harriman State Park, it's believed that Mostly Harmless stayed in Bear Mountain Park in New York for about two weeks before heading south along the Appalachian Trail. Other hikers noticed him at that time as simply an unidentified hiker. For one thing, he stood out. The first trail nickname given to him was Denim because he was hiking the trail in his jeans. But whether true or not, it's alleged that the nickname Mostly Harmless was first used when the unidentified hiker himself used those words to describe himself at a campfire. Hikers remember talking with Mostly Harmless about science fiction, like Doctor Who. The words he used, Mostly Harmless, may also have come from the science fiction book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, in which the planet Earth is classified as Mostly Harmless. It's unclear, but it's assumed to be a reference to the novel since the hiker did express an interest in sci-fi. Along with hiking in his jeans, he had a backpack that other hikers considered too bulky and heavy for that kind of hike. His pack was so heavy, a fellow hiker took a photo of it on the scale. Mostly Harmless was carrying a 53 and a half pound pack and kept the rain cover on it most times. 
In late July, he passed through Maryland. By early August, he was spotted near Shenandoah, Virginia. A guy lugging this kind of weight through tough terrain for days and weeks at a time might explain the reason for his weight being so low. Fellow hiker Jennifer Obsidian Vickers recalls that, like her, mostly harmless had bad knees. They hiked for about 100 miles south together very slowly. She remembers him telling her he was from somewhere in Louisiana, but she heard him telling others he was from New York. Mostly harmless as Obsidian remembers him telling her, claimed that he was from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and said that his destination was Key West, Florida. In September 2017, Obsidian took a photo of Mostly Harmless. In the photo, he is reading the Mountain Home Hostel logbook. They were in Front Royal, Virginia at this point. Some hikers recall that Mostly Harmless had worked for a large company, but said he recently quit. By December 1st, 2017, Mostly Harmless had made it to northern Georgia. He shopped at the store Mountain Crossings, where a man named Matt Mason was working. Mason, a veteran hiker, also recalls that Mostly Harmless was headed for the Florida Keys. Mason suggested a route for him and told him how to download the map on his phone, but Mostly Harmless didn't have a phone. Mason remembers being impressed by this because while everyone wants to get away, few are brave or committed enough to part with their phones. For just $5, Mason printed the 60-page map for him. He recalls Mostly Harmless having a thick wad of cash. Matt Mason's friend in Alabama talked about seeing Mostly Harmless in mid-December. He had been headed south, hiking during a snowstorm. While we talked about Mostly Harmless possibly being ill and wasting away on his hike, photos and videos of him during his trip show him as healthy and happy. He did lose weight along his hike, but it didn't happen all at once. He had mentioned to other hikers that he had been heavy when he started hiking. In December 2017, Mostly Harmless was filmed by another hiker at the top of Springer Mountain in Georgia, still healthy and happy. During this leg of the journey, he mentioned having both an ex-girlfriend and a sister, but didn't mention either of their names. He talked about his sister living in either Saratoga or Sarasota. At the end of January 2018, Mostly Harmless had made it to northern Florida. Kelly Fairbanks, a trail angel, saw him walking along Highway 90 and pulled over. A trail angel is someone who assists hikers with food, rides, and sometimes showers. Mostly Harmless also told her that he was headed to Key West and had started his hike in New York. When she asked him if he had the Florida Trail app, she learned he had no phone. She also noticed that his gear was mismatched. Some of it was very cheap gear, and some was high-end, expensive sort of boutique gear. At first, Fairbanks thought Mostly Harmless was an older man because of his bushy, graying beard, but she soon noticed the lack of wrinkles on his face. Fairbanks remembered Mostly Harmless because she was concerned about his lack of experience and improper gear. She would later send her photographs of Mostly Harmless to the Collier County Sheriff's Office. It was around this time Mostly Harmless told a fellow hiker on the Penhody Trail that he hiked just 10 miles each day. It's unknown whether his pace was due to his knees, wanting to take in all of the sights, or something else. 
But later photos of him show him with no smile, which was unlike the person that other hikers encountered and photographed. If you subscribe to the theory that he had a terminal illness, it's pretty safe to guess that he was probably already feeling the effects of whatever was going on by this time. In February 2018, he was at Sand Pond Campground in Pine Log State Forest, Florida. He was headed further into Florida and mentioned that he had been staying with his sister in either Sarasota or Fort Myers, Florida. He told some hikers this is where he had started his journey. He probably meant his journey on the Florida Trail, not his entire journey. One hiker recalled Mostly Harmless mentioning that he had health problems and that he had to finish the hike while he was able. This is the only concrete mention we have of health problems to back up speculation about the reason he was hiking in the first place. By March, he was still on the Florida Trail headed south. He was on pace to reach the southern terminus in July of that year. Hikers during this leg of his journey remember him as still healthy and happy. He liked to eat ketchup and also sticky buns, according to fellow hikers. He told some people that he had worked in tech for at least a decade. Some remember he was concerned about hackers, which is why he had no social media. On July 23, 2018, Mostly Harmless was found dead by the two hikers who stumbled upon his tent in Florida's Big Cypress National Preserve. He had only been dead for days based on the state of decomposition he was found in any longer in the Florida heat and humidity, and he would have been pretty quickly completely unrecognizable. The quest to identify him began immediately and continued to pick up steam throughout the years. There were groups, forums, threads, and articles dedicated to identifying mostly harmless the unidentified hiker wired's Nicholas Thompson published a story about the unknown hiker in November, 2020. Soon after he began to receive messages from people with their theories about why this man was hiking off grid and others from people who believe they may actually know who mostly harmless was. One woman believed that she had gone to high school with him and confirmed that her classmate's last name was Billamy or something close to that. Soon the former classmate was tracked down. He was alive and well and mostly harmless remained unidentified. Isn't it amazing that we live in a world where you can get anything you need when you need it right to your door. With DoorDash, you can get pretty much anything. And whether you're sick and you don't feel like getting out of the house, DoorDash has you covered. Maybe you're at a party and you run out of alcohol or ice or something like that, but you want to keep that party going. You need a little assist. DoorDash has you covered. Sometimes my wife and I, we just don't feel like making dinner. We're tired. We want to watch a show. That's when we hit DoorDash. DoorDash makes it easy to get the food that you want without all of the hassle. And I'm always amazed when I go on DoorDash by the selection. You know, whether you're in the mood for fast food or something a little fancy, maybe a nice steak. I know around me, they have just about everything. The hardest part for my wife and I is deciding on what we both want. That's the only trouble we ever have. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Must be 21 and over to order alcohol. Drink responsibly. Alcohol available only in select markets. 
Hey folks, we want to introduce you to the game June's Journey. If you haven't played this, you don't know what you're missing, it's so much fun. For you amateur sleuths, it really brings out the inner detective because it's all about finding clues and solving mysteries. You get to play as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You have to use your observation skills, solve mind-teasing mysteries. I love the graphics on this game. I love the hidden object aspect of it. It's full of mystery, danger, and even romance. You can even customize your very own luxurious estate island. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So, you know, escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker while you travel back to the glamorous 1920. I've been playing this game for a couple of years now, and it's a great escape from everything that goes into putting out the podcast. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Another woman in Louisiana thought mostly harmless, maybe an unknown cousin, because of just how much he looked like her brother. Someone else believed that Mostly Harmless was in a punk band in New Orleans. Another man in Virginia thought that Mostly Harmless was someone that he had met named Daryl McKenzie. The Virginia man claimed that he had met Daryl at a bowling alley in Newport News, Virginia and had learned that Daryl had advanced cancer and planned to go hiking until he passed. The man claimed that Daryl said, quote, I came into this world without a name, and I'm going to go out of this world without one. According to some people's theory, this seems to have been exactly what happened in Mostly Harmless. This Daryl seemed like a reasonable match. Someone believed he looked just like Mostly Harmless, and his circumstances in life matched those that many believe drove the hiker into the wilderness in the first place. Thompson kept working on the mostly harmless story. He was encouraged by a Facebook page for someone named Daryl McKenzie that had been inactive since 2017 around when mostly harmless began his journey. The page had just four friends and only photos of nature. Thompson contacted one of the friends on the profile and told her about mostly harmless and explained that he felt he may be Daryl McKenzie. She was sad to hear the news, but Thompson assured her she could call him anytime. And she did, just two minutes after they hung up, with the news that Daryl McKenzie, while indeed a hiker, was just fine, living in Los Angeles, and had in fact never been to any Newport News bowling alley. It turned out to be another dead end. Facebook users in Natasha Teasley's group and others were just as dedicated and interested as Thompson. They continued to try and identify Mostly Harmless. Knowing that he had a notebook where he wrote about the game Screeps, someone looked at all the accounts for Screeps active until April 2017. One user named Vajor stood out. In January 2017, Vajor wrote, I'm Mostly Harmless, for now, in the Screeps Slack channel he was part of. The last message from Vajor on the Screeps Slack channel was in the middle of April 2017. A woman named Sahar Bigdelli helped set up an isotope analysis of the unidentified hiker's teeth by the genomics company Othram. This testing was unfortunately out of the reach of the Collier County Sheriff's Office due to lack of funding until the group trying to identify mostly harmless 
raise the $5,000 it would take for Othram to complete the tests. It took them just eight days to raise the entire amount. Collier County then sent Othram a bone fragment from the hiker, and they extracted his DNA to use in the GEDmatch public DNA database. It was discovered through this analysis that Mostly Harmless was probably Cajun with family from Assumption Parish, Louisiana. It was believed that he had family members alive with the last name of Rodriguez. By December 2020, the photographs online of Mostly Harmless were finally seen by the right group of friends, the ones that Thompson and all the other internet sleuths dedicated to identifying Mostly Harmless had been waiting for. These friends were in Baton Rouge, north of Assumption Parish, Louisiana. The Collier County Sheriff's Office received a call from a woman named Marie, claiming that she knew who Mostly Harmless was. It would have been easy to discount the tip due to all the other leads that had seemed so promising but didn't pan out. Every person who had contacted Thompson or the police was adamant that they were positive they knew the true identity of Mostly Harmless. Marie, however, wasn't just claiming that he looked familiar. She thought his handwriting and coding was familiar, and she even knew about the scar he had, which you couldn't see in photos of his face or him on the trail. No hikers had mentioned the scar either. Soon after the police received the tip from Marie, Thompson received the call from the person who told him about the story of an unidentified hiker in the first place, and they claimed that Mostly Harmless had been identified. Thompson received two photos of the person that was believed to be the unidentified hiker before his trek, and they really did look similar. But in all the other leads, people had thought the hiker looked similar to someone too. In late December 2020, writer Jason Nark published an article about Mostly Harmless in Adventure Journal. He had spoken with a former roommate, three friends, and an ex-girlfriend who were positive that Mostly Harmless, the unidentified hiker shown in photos online, was the man they knew to be Vance Rodriguez. However, the Collier County Sheriff's Office had no updates or comments when NARC contacted them, and many online commenters thought NARC had made a mistake in publishing his story when there was no confirmation that Mostly Harmless was this person. Just after the Adventure Journal article was published, DNA samples from living relatives in Lafayette, Louisiana, just an hour from Baton Rouge, resulted in a positive match. On January 12, 2021, it was announced by the Collier County Sheriff's Office that the hiker known by such names as Mostly Harmless and Denim had a real name, and that name was Vance John Rodriguez. Vance John Rodriguez was born in February 1976 near Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He had a twin sister as well as an older brother. It turns out that Vance did post on the Screep Slack as Vajor online and that the internet sleuths had indeed tracked down the unidentified hiker's online persona, but it was just as anonymous as the hiker. According to friends, when he was just 15 years old, Vance Rodriguez had taken a gun into a field and shot himself in the stomach during a suicide attempt, but he decided that he wanted to live and flagged down a truck. The scar on his abdomen resulted from the surgeries that were necessary due to the suicide attempt. It's unknown whether Vance ever tried to take his life again, but he had told friends that he wanted to be buried in the field. 
It's unclear to us if he meant he wanted to be buried in the field after he died, or if he had wished he had been allowed to die and remain in that field. He seemed to suffer from depression for the rest of his life, according to his friend's accounts. When he was 17 years old, Vance was emancipated from his parents. His parents didn't fight his efforts to emancipate himself. He carried issues with them on his shoulders throughout his life. Marie, the friend who contacted Nicholas Thompson, had lived with Vance for a few years when he was in his 20s. She recalls Vance as angry that his parents sent him to an institution after he tried to end his life and said that he wouldn't really talk much about them except to voice things like, fuck them. It was probably a subject that most didn't pry about. In 1994, Vance was arrested for shoplifting, but he was either not fingerprinted or there was some sort of error or obstacle that prevented him from being identified through a fingerprint match because this arrest didn't pop up when the unidentified hikers fingerprints were run through any database. It could have been as simple as Lafayette parish where he was arrested, having a testing backlog or an incomplete database. Vance went to college at the university of Southwestern Louisiana, which is now called the university of Louisiana at Lafayette. A man he met in the computer lab there, Randall Godso, was his roommate off and on for about five years. Godso was a computer nerd like Vance, who he recalled would play games on his computer for up to 18 hours a day. According to Godso, Vance had periods where he would shut everyone out due to depression, even going months without smiling. Godso, like his other friends, also recalls Vance cutting out his family. While Vance was moody and depressed, he was okay as a roommate, and he got along with Godso, who doesn't remember that Vance had ever shown any interest in hiking or the wilderness. Vance could play at least one song on the piano, Nothing Else Matters by Metallica, which he would play for a friend at her dorm. This friend remembers that she was able to be silent with Vance without it ever being an uncomfortable silence. Other people added that Vance had some strange eating habits. Apparently, he would only eat once a day. His meals often consisted of a pizza from Walmart or some lasagna from Pasta Kitchen. He seemed to suffer from something like depression, but Marie says he just used alcohol and chocolate rather than trying to take medications for his problems. The periods of time where Godso recalls Vance shutting people out were not unique to that time in his life. Marie and Vance's other friends called these depressed periods outages. Vance would just lay still for days, not eating and not really talking with anyone. Marie recalls that he would always come back from an outage. Vance didn't graduate from the University of Southwestern Louisiana. He was very skilled with computers, though and easily found a job at Shopper's Choice in Baton Rouge. Computer tech is one area that if you have the knowledge and enough skill, you may not need the formal education on your resume. Shopper's Choice is an e-commerce company, and many of Vance's co-workers thought that he was their best engineer. In fact, the Shopper's Choice code base still has many notations by VR, showing they still use code that Vance wrote for them. Marie also worked in the IT field and recognized his talent. 
She believed he coded everything in a much more difficult way than it actually had to be done, which is part of the reason his coding style was so easily recognized by her when she saw the contents of his notebook. His talent for coding had been mentioned by several friends and co-workers. A different colleague from Shopper's Choice tried to find Vance in 2017 to hire him for help with an app build. David Blazer, the man looking to hire Vance, said he would have paid Vance literally anything he asked. Vance's co-workers recalled that he was quiet and got better at his job the more difficult the problem was. They said he wasn't the most outgoing person, but he did show up and he was nice enough. Another colleague, Keith Parent, recalls Vance's jokes as obscure. No one was really surprised that he disappeared or went off the grid for a while, but they were shocked that he died alone for an unknown reason. Vance would often listen to Rage Against the Machine or Temple of the Dog through headphones as he worked. Vance or Vajor's last.fm profile is still public and shows he liked tracks, which also included some Audio Slave, Limp Biscuit, and The Gorillas. While he was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Vance had a long-term relationship. He dated a woman for five years. But her Facebook page apparently indicates that it was not a good relationship. She claims he was emotionally and physically abusive. And the woman's mother even left a Facebook comment about how abusive he was to her daughter after it was announced that Mostly Harmless had been identified as Vance Rodriguez. In 2013, Vance moved to New York City. This explains why he told people on the trail that he was from both Louisiana and New York depending on the situation or the conversation. A woman who is publicly identified only as Kay met Vance in a chat room while she was completing college in New York. They began traveling to visit each other, and they eventually moved to New York City together. She had to be in New York for work, and Vance, born and raised in Louisiana, wanted a new experience. Apparently, down in Louisiana, he had never even seen snow. Kay remembers the beginning of their relationship and how romantic and sweet Vance was, only for him to begin shutting her out, something that was unbearably lonely for her in a tiny apartment. Vance continued working for Shopper's Choice while in New York City, working remotely for a year. He then quit and started depleting his savings instead of earning any more money. Kay remembers going out just once a month and Vance refusing to experience the city or travel because he insisted that he could just look at wherever he wanted to go or whatever he wanted to see online. Kay thinks the amount of people in New York City made him feel even lonelier due to an inability to connect despite the large number of people around him. As time went on, the relationship continued to deteriorate. Kay remembers once being locked out of the apartment by Vance after a shower, naked and without her clothing due to an argument. That was just one of the multiple times she was locked out of her own apartment when he was angry at her. In September 2016, a bomb went off during a terrorist attack in Manhattan and Kay was injured. She had PTSD due to the attack. She believes that Vance hated having to take care of her or help her and remembers he even kept a log of times that she needed his help. She also remembers a specific time that he left her outside in the dark alone, both of which were situations that were known to guarantee a panic attack in her at the time. 
However, Vance didn't want her to leave him. He even said he would dox Kay if she left him. She still did soon after. Around this time, Godso was contacted by Vance, and he worried that Vance was suicidal. Months later, he would leave the real world and begin his hike. Vance headed off for the woods without taking anything from his apartment with him. In January 2018, Rodriguez's landlord got a warrant to enter his apartment because he hadn't paid rent in more than six months. His computer, video game equipment, clothes, credit cards, wallet, passport, New York ID, and Louisiana driver's license were untouched inside the apartment. There was still food in the cabinets. The photos of the unidentified hiker showed a very healthy version of Vance Rodriguez. Older photos show that Vance was very pale, with dark circles under his eyes. Mostly harmless had bags under his eyes, but they were a lot smaller, and looked more like a camper who'd had a rough night's sleep, rather than someone who maybe never slept at all. It appears that maybe initially, Vance's hike did him some good. Yeah, I think if you're going by these chronology of photographs, right? Older photos, pre-hike, showing him looking very pale, very dark circles under his eyes. And then he starts the hike. Photos of him are taken. He looks better. He looks healthier. But then obviously later photos as the hike progressed showed him looking rough. Yeah, maybe getting out in nature, getting that fresh air, getting that activity in was something that he needed and it helped him initially. But eventually as he got worn down and tired and, and lost weight, maybe that sort of set him back. And that's why towards the towards the end, he started to look rougher again. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Friends wondered who Vance had become on the trail. In almost every photograph, he was grinning. Everyone who remembered encountering Mostly Harmless on the trails liked him. His friend Kay has a possible explanation for this. Vance was nice and friendly when you first would meet him, but then when you got to know him closely, he would change completely. The longest that we know of anyone spending time with him on the trails was Obsidian who hiked a hundred miles with him despite the notebook full of code and the long time spent with him. Obsidian doesn't remember seeing mostly harmless ever write anything down. None of the people he met on the trails knew him for years or experienced one of his so-called outages. But then again, none of them really knew him. They knew mostly harmless, not Vance Rodriguez. Regardless, K is hurt that it's clear Vance was able to be a great guy for multiple strangers, but she feels like he was never able to show her any decency. So some of this information more that we've been talking about, I think it sheds some light on why mostly harmless wasn't tracked down by his worried family with all of the many photos and stories about him available online. Vance Rodriguez didn't have family that was looking for him. He had basically cut ties with his family and the friends he had been in touch with most recently figured he was going through one of his really long outages. Everyone who wanted to see him again figured he'd just show up one day as he had done before. Sahara Big Deli, who helped efforts to get Vance's teeth analyzed, isn't disappointed about what we now know about Vance's life. 
She says she was more attached to who Vance would be as an idea and had been determined to solve the case to show what could happen when people came together. Still unexplained is how a man seemingly wasted away with food and money in his possession. The coroner found no injuries that should have kept him from being able to walk to find help. It appeared that he was still eating and drinking quite recently. He was just miles from a highway and rest stop. At 83 pounds, it seemed as if he had simply laid down and waited to die. Kay believes that what happened was what Vance always did when he had a problem. Just lay down and sleep until the problem was gone. Whatever problem Vance was trying to outsleep must have not gone away. Many of the people who wanted to help identify Mostly Harmless believe that there absolutely had to be a family out there worrying about this nice guy. Now that Vance has been identified, we know that there is a family out there and it's been perceived that they didn't want to look for him. Now, it could just be that because he had cut ties, they didn't know that he was even missing. I, I really don't know. When Vance was first identified, a lot of people online were angry at those who didn't speak positively of his past. They were angry at his family for not filing a missing persons report even if they weren't on great terms with Vance, no doubt there were strong emotional reactions from people who were really invested in something only for it to not have a happy ending. They lit candles for mostly harmless and his suffering family. They spent hours researching databases and reading posts online to try and figure out if any one user could be mostly harmless. And I think many people were let down. They felt let down with the knowledge that, you know, maybe he wasn't the nice, friendly, loving, and gentle soul that he had been portrayed to be. He was like anyone else, a human being who had faults. And to me, more of this is very interesting, you know, I, and I think it's somewhat natural for people, you know, to assume that, okay. Someone's missing. They've got a family out there who's grieving. But in this case, I'm not sure we know that. With the ties being severed, I don't know how much communication there was. I don't know what the family knew or didn't know regarding what was going on with Vance at the time. But you can also see where a lot of people put quite a bit of time and energy into trying to figure out who this individual was. And you have to think in their minds at the end of this whole thing, it's going to be a good story. It can't entirely be a good story because the person died, but it's going to be a story about this man's life and people are going to remember him and then kind of a letdown to find out that people are talking about him in not always, you know, flattering ways. For me, the important thing is that he does have his name back and his family does have some answers. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's the, the most important thing. And I think this type of strong reaction isn't unique to just this case. An unidentified doe known only by his alias, Lyle Stevick checked himself into a hotel and took his own life. For years, online sleuths tried to identify him and give him his name back, and to try and give his family some kind of closure. 
When someone finally recognized him and his identity was confirmed, his name was kept a secret per the request of his family. This was almost absolutely unacceptable to those who had spent their time trying to help bring Lyle Stevick home to his family. It's as if people felt that the family owed them an answer for their time. And and more if I think this is kind of a, a, a phenomenon that you see quite a bit. And and I don't hold it against anyone. I mean, are people owed something? No, not not really, but I can see where they they get that sense, right? They put so much time, so much effort into trying to solve this mystery. And then it's like, okay, we did all this, but you're not going to even tell us the outcome. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's the family's right to, to do what they want to do with that information. It doesn't stop people from being hurt about it, though. I can tell you that. I think that might be one of the dangers of getting involved in these cases where you spend hours and hours going down rabbit holes and you get connected personally to the case and then you get answers, but maybe not the answers you want or not the full answers and you're left feeling uh, hurt in some way. Yeah. Or like in the case of Vance Rodriguez, the answers that come back are not as glowing, not as upbeat and uplifting as you would have hoped them to have been right to find out that a lot of people had some negative things to say about this guy. Well, what are you left with? Maybe feeling like you, you spent a lot of time to only get this. When in reality, you probably did a lot of good. You know, he was identified after all. You know, when you talk about the case of mostly harmless, you know, like we mentioned, not everyone is happy with all of the elements of how everything turned out, but his family will never have to look for him. They know what ultimately happened to him. His friends will never have to wonder. The ex-girlfriend who had once been afraid of him will never have to fear seeing him again. Vance Rodriguez's sister, who is currently still unnamed publicly, has stated, my family has no comment. And I think, you know, as we wrap up this case more, obviously there was a lot of mystery here and it may not be the ending everyone hoped for, but it is an ending nonetheless. And a deceased unidentified hiker got his name back at the end of the day. I just, I think what makes it somewhat strange is that in a lot of cases, giving someone's name back to them, someone who has been unidentified for, you know, some period of time is usually viewed as a really good thing by everyone, right? It's sad that the person is deceased, but the family, the friends, and everybody who had wondered for whatever period of time now have some answers. This case is a little different. Yeah, there are answers for a lot of people, but you also have a good number of people who I think are were left feeling let down by the answers that came out. And I, and I think that's what makes this case a little bit unique. And when I think about this case, I think of how this is another win for genetic genealogy, which we see solving all these these old cold cases 
it's not always identifying bad guys, but in this case, it's identifying people that have no name and it's giving them their name back. So I think this is, as we see these cases on the news every week that seem to be coming, they're, they're helping in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. I think that's important to point out, right? You know, we think about genetic genealogy being used to identify the golden state killer. But like you said, it's not simply finding out who some of these killers are. It's also helping to identify some of these Jane Doe's, John Doe's who have not had a name for, in some cases, a very long time. And, and I'll echo what you said. I think that's a big win at the end of the day. One thing I thought about when we were talking about this was if the people that found Vance's remains had been looking the other direction or had gone a few feet down one trail instead of down the trail he was on, would we still be talking about this? Would he be a different kind of case, a missing persons case that we might be covering, wondering what happened to, to him? Thanks goes out to Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. As always, if you love the show but haven't done so yet, take a minute, go out, give us a five-star rating, keep telling your friends. That word of mouth about the Criminology Podcast goes a long way. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter with the handle at Criminology Pod. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Criminology Podcast or by joining our Facebook discussion group, Criminology Podcast Discussion and Fans. All right, Morph, that is it for our episode on Mostly Harmless and another episode for the Criminology Podcast. But Morph and I will be back with all of you next Saturday night with a brand new episode. So for Mike and Morph, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.